Hello, and welcome to The Doctor Is In, a podcast created by the healthcare experts of IU Health Physicians at IU Health Fort Wayne. In this podcast series, you will learn all about important, timely, and interesting health matters as they relate to you, the listener, and all from those who know it the best. Now, sit back and enjoy this episode of The Doctor Is In. Interesting. Today, we're going to talk about screening, which may not seem like all that interesting of a topic, but it actually has a lot of interesting um, things contained within it. And basically, what we're trying to convey with this session today is that finding things early makes a difference. It really matters. It changes the clinical course of many diseases. So um, the idea behind screening is to try and do that process of identifying early. And today I'm joined by Lauren Stoffel, Dr. Lauren Stoffel, who is origina- originated in Huntington. Mm-hmm. So she's back home again, which is really nice. Uh, Dr. Stoffel trained at our residency, family medicine residency program here in um, Fort Wayne, and then has been working in Ohio now um, for the National, was it Public Health Service? Or? National Service Corps. Mm-hmm. So um, she's doing her service, which is awesome, and uh, now has uh, begun working with us again uh, full-time here in Fort Wayne. Um, she has a broad primary care, primary care practice. Uh, she takes care of infants to adult, um, elderly adults. She does have two areas of specific interest, and that is women's health and um, addiction medicine. Uh, both of those, I think, are interesting and could be future subject matter. Um, today, she's talking with us about preventative health and specifically screening. And um, what we want to try and do is understand better what it is that you should be thinking about as a person who's coming to see your primary care doctor um, as to what it is that we're looking for to give you better overall health. So, um, Dr. Stuffel, would you start by just describing the most common screening tests that we use and, and then we'll kind of go to greater detail from there? Yeah, so screening tests are recommended by age and by gender. In our primary care office for adults, the most common ones that we do either in the office or refer patients for would be things like pap smears, colonoscopies, mammograms, um, depression screening is something else that we do in the office. Okay. Um, the, the process of screening um, is basically one that sort of uncovers things that may not be apparent to anybody. They may mm-hmm. not even seem like you've got a problem. So. Why do we focus on these particular tests? What is it that makes us kind of hone in on those things? As yeah. So screening important? is something that we do on people who don't have any type of symptoms. Um, if you are having any particular type of symptoms, then we would look up more of a, a diagnostic approach. But we do screenings on these. Um, some of these things that we screen for in the office cause um, morbi- increased morbidity and mortality, um, worsening problems of your health overall if they aren't detected early. Mm-hmm. So breast cancer and colon yep. cancer are classics yep. for that. Especially. So. And they're quiet. Both mm-hmm. of those uh, disease processes yeah. are very quiet. They don't yeah. usually produce symptoms. So let's talk about mm-hmm. colon cancer okay. and how we screen for it and what methods there are because when we talk about colonoscopy, which everyone's heard of mm-hmm. colonoscopy, everybody knows about the PrEP, um, but but there are other ways in addition to that that we screen for colon cancer. So talk about the methods yeah. of cancer screening for colon So cancer. besides the colonoscopy, like Dr. Randolph mentioned, um, the other tests that we recommend from our office would be the FIT test, and that stands for fecal immunochemistry test. That tests your stool, 
you do that in the privacy of your own home. You send it in and it tests your stool for blood. Microscopic blood can be an early sign, uh, potentially of mm -hmm. cancer, colon cancer. The other test that we recommend is the Cologuard. They have a commercial out, a lot of people have mm -hmm. seen the commercial. That tests for cancer DNA in the stool, as well as blood. Yeah, and is that test more specific? Yes, um, it is, okay. it is. It's much more specific for colon cancer. Okay, and then talk just briefly about colonoscopy because everybody, I think everybody's spooked by it, but mm -hmm. talk a little bit about what's the age when you should begin to do it, and um, maybe demystify it a little bit, yeah. if you wouldn't mind. So all colon cancer screening is recommended for both men and women starting at the age of 50 if you're at average risk, meaning you don't have any um, symptoms, don't have any family history of colon cancer, so it all starts at the age of 50. Uh, colonoscopy is a procedure where they take a camera and they go through your entire large intestine, which is mm -hmm. where the most common forms of colon cancer are found. Um, the worst part, I've never had one myself, but I understand the worst part is the prep the day before. The prep for a colonoscopy is uh, the process of cleaning out your entire colon so that they get the best visualization that they can. Yeah, and so that can be a tumultuous night yes. ahead of time, although yes. it's tolerable, I think. And, um, and one of the things that I know for colonoscopy that they do now is you, you can do colonoscopy without any sedation, but a lot of times they'll actually sedate during yeah. the colonoscopy, yep. which makes it very tolerable. They call it more of a, a twilight, so you don't remember it. You're not completely put under, but you don't remember it afterwards. Yeah, and suppose they find something. Mm -hmm. um, suppose, I mean, there's other things besides cancer that can oh, be absolutely. found on colonoscopy, so just maybe talk briefly about that. Suppose they identified something. What are the possibilities there? So if something is identified on a colonoscopy, during that procedure is when they will take a biopsy. They'll take a sample of the tissue. Um, it could be things like Crohn's disease, mm -hmm. inflammatory bowel disease. Polyps are very common and a polyp does not mean colon cancer. A lot of polyps are benign, but they take a sample of that tissue during the procedure itself. So you don't mm -hmm. have to come back and do it again. Yeah, and then that report would be available when you follow up with your mm -hmm. doctor who did it. And just so everyone on this um, call knows, we have two physicians in our practice that actually do do colonoscopy. They're primary care doctors who did extra training in that, and so they do perform screening colonoscopy. So our doctors can refer internally or can refer to a gastroenterologist mm -hmm. if that would be a person's preference. So. Um, I think the only other comment that I would make is that if there is, if a person, what, what might a person notice when they would come to your office to say, hey, I'm a little concerned about the possibility of a colon cancer? What might be th signs that they would notice that would prompt you to do these tests? Yeah, um, sometimes abdominal pain or abdominal fullness, blood in the stool, if people notice blood in the stool that hasn't been there before. Um, hemorrhoids can be associated with blood, so if it's not necessarily related to a hemorrhoid, family history of colon cancer, chronic constipation or diarrhea, sometimes those can be signs or symptoms. Okay, good. So let's move on to mammography, mm -hmm. uh, breast cancer screening. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk a little bit about what are the methods. First of all, when mm -hmm. would a woman get screened for breast cancer? Um, 
I, I know that men can get breast cancer mm -hmm. also, but typically it's a little more yeah. easy to find, palpable, yeah. and most men don't get screened for breast mm -hmm. cancer. Yeah. But for women, it's a common problem. Yep. So what's the age at which a person starts thinking about screening for Yeah, so like cancer? a lot of different screenings, there are different organizations and different guidelines. Mm -hmm. Um, ACOG, which is the American College of um, Obstetrics and Gynecology, recommends screening start at the age of 40. Uh -huh. um, in primary care, we often follow the USPSTF, which is the um, United, United States Preventative Services Task Force, and that recommendation starts at the age of 50. Okay. So it's a conversation that you can have with your provider at what age you want to start at and which you think is appropriate, neither is right or wrong. Okay, good. So what what is it? What, what tests do they do that screen yeah. for breast cancer? So um, the most common form of screening for breast cancer is a mam uh, mammogram, mammography, which is an x-ray of the breast tissue. Um, ultrasounds are used as a follow-up if a mammogram is abnormal, but a mammogram is the type of screening that has been studied the most, and the, because it's been studied the most, the only one that's really been shown to decrease mortality. Mm -hmm. And what does the radiologist identify on that that would be a warning sign or a question mark for them? What are they looking for? Um, any areas of, I guess you would say, discoloration or abnormality. There could be small like calcium deposits. There could be cyst structures. There could be um, just really anything abnormal. Mm -hmm. That's not symmetric. Not symmetric, case. different from <clears throat> side to side. Good. So, um, in um, what, how often should um, a woman do it? And again, that depends on which guidelines you follow. In general, either one to two years. If a mammogram, a screening mammogram, shows up to be abnormal, they might recommend closer follow-up. You know, possibly every six months. Um, but it just depends on which guidelines you follow. And um, I think probably the biggest question here has to do with. Um, What's the difference? If you identify a breast cancer in an early stage mm -hmm. like this when it's not feelable, yeah. um, but you can find it on a mammography, uh, what, what difference does that make in terms of the outcome? That makes a huge difference. So the American Cancer Society uh, had a report and it stated that if detected early and the cancer is still localized, meaning it hasn't spread anywhere, then there is actually a 99% survival rate. Oh. It depends on the type of cancer, but again, if it's detected very early and localized, um, there's a very high survival rate. Good. And, and really that's the only way to detect early mm -hmm. breast cancer yeah. is by mammography or mm -hmm. ultrasound. Yep. So you know, it's a really important test in terms of preventing issues and problems and giving better outcomes. Mm. Okay, and um, if you have to have a biopsy mm -hmm. done, how does that work? So a biopsy is, a, they do that as a follow-up. Sometimes they might do that at the time of the mammogram. A lot of times it's a scheduled follow-up where they go in. Um, it's a minor procedure. They take a sample of that area of concerning breast tissue that they find on the mammogram, and then they look at it under a microscope, determine is it cancer, is it not cancer? If it is, what type of cancer it is? And if they can figure out what type of cancer it is, then based on that, they can figure out what treatment options there are. Okay, great. Well, maybe we'll get some questions from people about that. So let's um, let's go on to another thing that we this group has talked with me about or have been involved with before when Dr. Vanderbosch talked, and that is depression. Mm 
Um, and we know that right now that is a more common issue than under normal circumstances. We're in a very stressful time. So um, talk a little bit about how when people come to your office for their primary care visit, there's screening that's done related to depression. Mm -hmm. So how does that work? So every time we have a new patient come in the office, we do screening for depression. It starts off with a two-question questionnaire called the PHQ-2. And if either of those two questions are positive, then it goes into a PHQ-9, which is a nine-question questionnaire that further differentiates areas of potential depression. And it alerts your uh, physician um, you know, that there might be a problem with depression to, to discuss. Mm -hmm. So if, if the first, what are the first two questions? I'm just yeah. curious, do you yeah. know? The first two questions are, and it's only within the past two weeks. So mm -hmm. if you know something bad happened yesterday, then disregard these questions. But in the past two weeks, um, have you had any symptoms of depression, any type of depression? And um, have you felt lack of interest in things that you previously liked to do? Mm -hmm. And the responses to that are, not at all, some of the time, most days, or all of the days. Okay, and then what precipitates them going on to the second layer of questioning? Yep. If either of those two questions are positive, then they go on to the PHQ-9. Okay, and um, to what extreme can this go? I mean, does it actually look for suicidal tendencies, which I would put at the most extreme for depression, um, but does it also look at lesser degrees, yes. things that might happen with lesser degrees of depression? Yep. Absolutely. So there are, like I said, there's nine questions on the PHQ-9, and it does identify other potential signs of depression, things including sleep, appetite, and then um, thoughts of suicide is one of them too. Yeah. And um, so if you had a person that screened positive, mm -hmm. what, would be, what would be your next step? My next step would be to look at those specific questions. You know, if it is just lack of sleep, what's going on that's causing the sleep? Is it a new mm -hmm. baby in the house? You know, mm -hmm. new babies don't often allow parents to sleep <laughs> that much. Um, if that's the case, then it's not necessarily a sign of depression. So it's really just kind of looking deeper into the responses to those questions and figuring out why they were positive. Yeah. So if you find a person that appears to be mildly to moderately depressed, mm -hmm. Um, either situationally or that it's a maybe a chronic thing, then what would be your next steps? Yeah, the next steps is discussing possible treatment with the patient. Um, treatments that we use are medications, um, and then there's psychosocial therapy, you know, counseling, things like that. Mm -hmm. One or the other, you could do both together and just kind of figuring out with the individual patient what might work best for them. Uh -huh. And do you ever do counseling of patients that have those kind of symptoms just here in the office or do you commonly refer them on? I often refer them on just because time doesn't always allow for individual counseling with patients. I am not a counselor. I'm not going to pretend to be a counselor. Yeah. There are people out there who do a much better job than I do. Mm -hmm. um, so I tend to refer people on to more professional counseling. Mm -hmm. And we've talked in our prior session with Dr. Vanderbosch about the fact that we do have a tool within our practice that allows us to provide consultation for patients um, that can benefit from mm -hmm. counseling directly through uh, virtual mm -hmm. mechanisms. So yep. you might even be able to accomplish it same day yeah. if it felt urgent or if it felt like it was something mm -hmm. that needed to be done. 
So let's talk about the most extreme. What happens if you have a person who's uh, potentially suicidal or who has at least some consideration of that? What, how do you address that? So if somebody is in our office and is actively suicidal, then we contact one of the local resources and we um, get them in touch with the patient immediately. If they're a harm to themselves or um, somebody else, we don't want them leaving our office without any uh, immediate and emergent treatment. Mm -hmm. Okay, I imagine this is uncommon. uncommon. Yeah, it's not very common. It does happen sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and when it does, we address it right away and make sure that they get in touch with the appropriate resources before they leave the hospital or mm -hmm. before they leave the office. The clinic, yeah. So um, the closing question I have for you mm -hmm. is about other potential screening tests mm -hmm. that people might be familiar with that you might want to briefly mention. Are there any others that you know happen frequently in a primary care office that you would want our audience to be aware of? Yeah, so one of the other more common ones is pap smears, like I mentioned before. Those we recommend starting with on all women at the age of 21. And if they are completely normal, depending on the age of the patient, they're repeated every three years or every five years. It used to be every single year. So a lot of women are happy to know that you know mm -hmm. they can wait every three to every Spread five years. <laughs> exactly. You earn, you earn a, a gap or a rest yes. from that. Yeah, that's uh -huh. good. Another one that we were just talking about is prostate cancer. The new updated guidelines for that state that it's not necessarily recommended. It's a discussion that the male patients can have with their providers. And again, this is men at average risk, starting at the age of 55. And if they decide together that, you know, this is an option that they want to do, it's a simple blood test. Okay, and what's the name of that blood test? It's uh, a PSA. It stands for prostate-specific antigen. Okay, um, good. So many of you, if you're older than 55, maybe have had that test done and um, it's it's a monitoring test and mm -hmm. I don't know if there are clear strong 100% connections to breast or to prostate cancer but I think that the, it's mm -hmm. a strong enough indicator that if what's the is it a trend that they monitor mm -hmm. yep they monitor a trend um, if the initial level is high enough then um, we would refer them to a urologist who's a specialist in mm -hmm. prostate cancer but if it's um, a low normal level, then we just monitor it over time to mm -hmm. make sure it's not increasing at a high rate. Okay. Well, I want to thank Dr. Lauren Stoffel for informing us about the most common screening tests performed by or prescribed at the primary care level. We know that attending to these preventative tests is one indicator of the quality of care patients receive. The most important takeaway today is that these tests are designed to identify potentially serious health problems early at a time when solutions can be curative. You heard today that some of these screenings occur as early as age 40. I encourage you and for you to encourage your family to engage with a primary care practitioner to discuss these and other preventative health and wellness measures. For more information about office locations and practitioners with Indiana University Health Fort Wayne, go to iuhealth.org backslash Fort Wayne. To schedule an appointment with any of our outstanding primary care physicians, call 260-234-5400. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Doctor Is In. We hope you join us next time too.